As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, welcome to the TFO Football Podcast. There's no Joe, so I'm standing in. And we've also got Nick Miller standing in once again. Hello, Nick. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Alex is also here. Alex is also in a good mood, which is well, it's a bit unsettling. Hello, Alex. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. You're fine. Okay, well that's 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 a positive. Uh lots to get through today. We're gonna talk about Manchester United against Leeds, West Ham against Chelsea. We're gonna talk about bad timekeeping habits in Spanish football, aging centre forwards in France and Turkey. And we're going to have a little bit of a dig at Wolves and inadvertently one at Burnley too towards the end of the podcast. And we hope you enjoy it. And before we get going, let me just point you in the way of The Athletic, which at the moment is on very special offer at £3.99 for the first six months. And to sign up for that, go to theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, where you can sign up and read all kinds of things. What has caught your eye on The Athletic recently, Nick? Can I? Uh, there's been there's so much uh, sort of excellent writing about um, the Super League and Jose Mourinho leaving Tottenham and some good pieces over the weekend from the matches. But I am going to be completely shameless here and plug something that I wrote. Uh, <laughs> uh, on uh, it was published on Friday. Um, kind of a bit of a pet project that I've been working on for a little while is about. Um, footballers who have suffered multiple cruciate ligament injuries um the there seems to have been a rash of them this season um a couple of them, a few in the championship lewis cook uh bradley dak johnny otto for wolves and a few other people so i basically spoke to a bunch of people who this has happened to spoke to physios and uh, rehab specialists and uh there's a piece all about that on the athletic Lovely. Alex, have you written anything or would you like to promote something by somebody else, perhaps? Uh, I've, I've not written anything for a while for The Athletic. Um, I I just want to flag up again Joey Durso. He's he's um, kind of The Athletic's investigations guy. He got a roving brief uh, and he's done a great piece, um, which is pertinent particularly to Southampton fans, on sports bet and Bitcoin betting uh, and the links to English football and the fact that Bitcoin is uh, hmm, dubious, shall we say, in a variety of different ways. Don't want to get in trouble from all the weirdos on the internet, but basically Bitcoin's a pyramid scheme that destroys the environment. Um, that should do uh, it. Nice. Yeah. That will, that will, that will Come slice the landmine. Yeah. Fantastic. I don't care. Um, and Joey's also done uh, some really good work on on football's links to gambling in general, and and just kind of pops up with the sort of stuff that you you basically don't find anywhere else. So uh, yeah, that's uh, that's what I've been reading recently. Okay, well, if you disagree with Alex's opinions about Bitcoin, then uh, be sure to uh, let him know. Um, you know, and I'll in, give in you a my nice address. Long, yeah, with a nice long Twitter thread, perhaps. In the meantime, let's get on with the podcast. Right, let's go. Before we get going, who saw Sevilla against Granada on Sunday night? 
confess I did not, Seb. No, sorry. Alex? You're just throwing your nerd credentials straight out there. It's just a curveball. No. Exactly. I well, I'm, I'm ringing up. Not we're, gonna, we're not going to talk about the actual football. It's just there was something in that game that I've never seen before. So into four minutes of injury time and the referee blows full time at about three minutes and, you know, three seconds past 90 minutes. And everyone goes crazy. The Granada players surround him immediately and be like, well, where's our extra minute? And his only response is kind of excruciating to watch. His only response was to kind of relentlessly keep pointing at his watch. I'm not sure what he was pointing at because uh, everyone saw the board go up. And by this point, I think the severe players had realised they'd gotten away with not having to play the extra minute and all left the pitch and quickly taken their boots off and, you know, put on jackets and stuff. And rather humiliatingly for the referee, he actually had to restart the game. <laughs> and there were severe players putting on boots and shin pads on the edge of the pitch, like it was a Sunday league game. There were uh, players who had, you know, had gone into the dressing room. And it was just, on the one hand, well done for sticking to the rules and, you know, having the humility to, to climb down. On the other hand, I, I, I didn't even know that was legal. Has anyone ever seen that before? Well, there's, I mean, earlier this season, Brighton against Manchester United, there was action after the final whistle had been blown. So I don't know if that, that's, I mean, I know that's a slightly different With a review. Different thing. Yeah. I don't know. I think I'd lose, lose a bit of respect for that referee. He's made a call. Doesn't matter if it's wrong. He's going to, you know, bloody mindedly s- stick to it against all uh, logic and, and fact. Interesting that he's kind of continually pointing to his watch, though, because that, that, that's kind of like pointing to the murder weapon to prove that you haven't done it with, you it, know, with your fingerprints right. all over it. It's like, look at my mistake, look at my mistake, look at my mistake. And actually, you know what, Nick? If the PGML has taught us anything, it's that when you make a mistake, the correct response to that is to pretend against any suggestion otherwise that you just haven't. Or you, yeah. you tweak a rule or you say that, well, you know, we, we've decided to interpret this rule a little bit differently and therefore we're actually correct and it's fine, don't worry about it. What instigated the climb down? Was it the referee himself or did somebody else? <sighs> Peer pressure? I think (laughs) there was just well I'm just I'm just wondering because the influence of Javier Tebas is obviously so significant that he's orchestrating fan demonstrations in London last weekend I just wonder whether he was master of world football yes yes, sending messages into the stadium or something I think he did an internal calculation where he thought what's worse here like is it is it better to be the guy that accidentally cut the game short because it wasn't insignificant. Granada had just scored to make it 2-1 and they weren't knocking at the door, but, you know, they, they were having a, you know, they were chucking a few long balls towards the, the sphere penalty box. So, you know, an equaliser wasn't out of the question. He, he also thought, is it worse to be the guy that cuts the game short or is it temporarily better just to deal with the embarrassment of calling everyone back onto the pitch, hope nothing happens and everyone forgets about it, has a laugh about it and... You know, something happens the next week. I, it was surreal. It was one of those things that you kind of... It was as if he'd... Once he'd stopped pointing at his watch, he was out of... He didn't really have anywhere else to go. Like I don't know. And he just... I'm quite interested... Sorry, to butt in, I'm quite interested in the sort of specific mechanics of this. Did he go straight from pointing at his watch and kind of, uh, you know, tapping away there and, and proving that he's right and then straight into, oh, no, actually, we do need to... You know, we do need to play this extra minute. Or was there kind of a slow realization that he'd made a mess of things? Was there someone kind of whispering in his ear? Give us the timeline. Right, three stages really. Uh, one blows full time. Granada players go crazy, and severe players sort of leave the pitch giggling. <laughs> Stage two, someone had clearly said something to him through his earpiece. At which point he went over to the sideline to tell Julian Lopetegui, who then also went crazy. So he managed to kind of alienate everyone in the stadium. He sort of <laughs> humiliated his his team of referees by association. He'd upset the Granada players and management. And then, um, rather unfairly, because you, you, you see what happens to a professional footballer after full time. They kind of sag, don't they? They just collapse. And... Rakitic is there with his coat on. He's walking around in his in his bare feet. A couple of other players have taken off their boots. A few others have done that weird footballer thing where they take their shin pads off before anything else. Um, and no one was ready to play another minute of professional football. Um, and then gradually everyone kind of came back. And I I don't know I don't know what happened inside the stadium because there was some kind of conversation that was happening 
amongst the players who'd left the playing pit, uh, who left the pitch and the playing area. They'd, they'd actually gone down the tunnel. So um, not clear, but Spanish football seems to be covered exclusively through the lens of Barcelona and Real Madrid. So maybe no one will care. No one will notice because, you know, the, 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 the daily football papers don't seem to, to notice teams beyond those two. So one of one of them will inevitably turn this into some kind of uh, conspiracy proof that, conspiracy yeah. proof that the you know the the league is against barcelona slash real insert you know whichever but what i mean it, it's it's a good job this didn't happen in the after the carabao cup final yesterday because imagine if the referee blows the final whistle son bursts into tears and then someone comes to him and says actually no mate you've got to play another um play another few minutes here but imagine had Jose Mourinho also still been Tottenham manager. <laughs> Can you imagine the mileage he might have got out of that? I'd, I'd almost want to see that. I mean, not so much that I'm sad that he's gone, but you know. Anyway, 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 I've derailed this long enough. Let's talk about Liverpool 1, Newcastle 1. Alex describes it, I have to say, Alex, this is kind of uncharacteristic for you, as lovely, silly and chaotic. I mean, that's quite a motive for you. <laughs> Discuss. Even as I wrote it, I yes. felt like I was stepping horribly away from the brand. Exactly. Um, so you know, yeah, defend yourself. Well, it feels it feels like the the two games, um, or two of the games I watched this weekend, this one and the draw between Man United and Leeds, kind of encapsulated the two sorts of games that we've had for the the main part of this season. Um, they're either all over the place, end-to-end, full of mistakes, kind of sloppy, but kind of fun, or they're very scrappy, very dull, very dour, and nothing really that significant happens. And it feels like there haven't been that many games that have stepped away from either of those two forms, irrespective of results. Um, I mean, Liverpool should have absolutely battered Newcastle, Um they had significantly more chances. Diego Jota, I think, should have had like four himself. Um, but Newcastle defended very resolutely, even when, and this is probably my favourite element of the entire game, even when John Joe Shelby started playing as a libero, <laughs> um, which Twitter was quick to inform me had happened once before for about five minutes uh, when they hosted Tottenham Hotspur. Um, but... I mean, he didn't do that badly. And obviously, in John Joe Shelby, you've got somebody who's probably one of the best deep passers in the Premier League. I mean, his his ability to move the ball forwards uh, is, is pretty extraordinary. His ability to tackle one-on-one is also pretty extraordinary in an entirely different way. So it was a bold move um, from Steve Bruce. But... Yeah, Liverpool couldn't put it to bed and Newcastle eventually equalised. Obviously, they had the, the first goal disallowed, but it just felt like a seesawy, unpredictable, stupid game. And I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to sidestep the VR, VAR controversy because we're not really that kind of podcast. Um, there was one excellent moment, which uh, on, on German Sky at the moment, there's no fake crowd noise. And there's no sort of red button option to put it on. So there was a there was a moment in the second half where Alan Samaxman, who Alex, I know you want to talk about, he was sort of pirouetting through eight different players on three separate occasions, doing kind of what he does. And on the near touchline, I think it was Matt Ritchie, who you could hear in a pitch side mic just saying, Alan, 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 <laughs> screaming for a pass <laughs> like he was a schoolboy footballer. Uh, it was it was great. Um, you really likes Max Man. Also, Alex, you've described him as an absolute joy to watch. Again, really off brand. Yeah, I don't I don't know what it got into. Did you have just have a weird Saturday? Weetabix or something. Yeah. yeah. Well I, I I suppose that the two points go together because the, the point above this that I've made was how how knackering it is um to play the way that Newcastle play. And actually the the moment of the game that that made me think this was a. Uh, Miguel Almiron was sort of tucked back inside on the right-hand side and chasing Liverpool players backwards and forwards and then suddenly got the ball as a result of a miscontrol or or possibly a tackle. And in a fraction of a second, he has to go from shuttling and marking passing channels and pressing players to, oh God, I've got to do something with it now. Um, And the... The, the kind of mentality flip required in a fraction of a second to go from this is where they all are and my job is to screen and shuttle and press to 
this is one of the kind of one opportunity every five minutes we're going to get to progress the ball. What do I do with it? I, I think that's surprisingly demanding. I think maybe people underestimate that the, the, the kind of it's not just the concentration to maintain a defensive shape, but it's the shifting gears to then do something with it. And of course, Sam Maximan is the, the the best example of Newcastle's ability to do this. Um, and I think he gets a lot of credit, obviously, for his ball carrying. He's very direct. Um, he's a good runner. You know, Liverpool had to resort to a number of fouls to stop him, including the one from Fabinho, which I kind of felt could have been a red card, actually. It was, there was no attempt whatsoever to play the ball. Sam Maximan was in full flight. I would say that was reckless, bordering on dangerous. Also, I noticed his quality of passing. You know, he he has the ability sometimes to to change the angle of a pass, to thread a ball through. It's not just somebody who can gallop forwards and take players on and kind of look exciting while he's doing that. There is end product there. And I thought towards the end of the game, once Callum Wilson had come on and, and offered more of a sort of upfront foil to him, um, Newcastle did look quite quite dangerous on the counter. Yeah, just um, he's a fun player, but he's more than fun. And I think that sometimes gets lost because he's fun. Because I, I watch a lot of uh, championship football and in the championship you often see you, you see players who you think they're really good. Why are they still playing in the championship? Why hasn't someone better bought them? So after a while you kind of attune yourself to looking at that player and then figuring out why figuring out that reason why why someone else, uh, someone better hasn't bought them and you kind of you do have that uh, a similar kind of thing with Sir Maximan and there was a moment in the second half which I thought kind of encapsulated why someone better than Newcastle hasn't bought him and it might actually be the same moment that you were you were talking about before Seb with where Richie was shouting um uh, shouting his name at him because he had the ball on the right flank and he had it may have been Richie. He certainly had two very simple, kind of quite well placed passes on, like back. a forty yard corridor in which to play the pass potentially. <laughs> yeah, but but, but the, he had two, two options for, for, from which Newcastle could have kind of built some, some more of an attack, and it was, it was sort of I don't know, like thirty yards out from goal or something like that, or something like that. And rather than taking on those two kind of simple options, he did a little pirouette turn and ran down the line into this kind of channel of three Liverpool defenders who obviously immediately just kind of, you know, crowded him out and, and dispossessed him. So while I completely agree that he is fun and he does often have um, often have more uh, sort of uh, end product that he's given credit for, I just thought uh, that that was a moment where I thought, ah, okay, that's why he's still playing for Newcastle. That championship thing is really interesting because there are so many really good examples of that over the years. Like, I think my favourite is probably Jose Dominguez, the um, ex Birmingham <laughs> wow. City slash Tottenham player. Anti Knockhart probably fits into that category a little bit. Like, you yes, see, I've, sort of, I've, I've had the kind of it's like dubious pleasure of watching him for for Forest th- th- this season, and it's kind of it is extremely obvious. He's got he's kind of got the the mentality of a sort of Champions League player in a Champions League flair player in as much as he thinks okay well I need to do some I need to do a thing here I'm the one that's going to kind of win this game for my team gloriously curling one in from 30 yards or you know Maisie run or something like that but without the sort of talent to match that there was a very frustrating moment in the West Ham game where I think with maybe five or so minutes to go, Said Ben Rama gets the ball, <laughs> yes. drives forwards a little bit. Has a, you know West Ham great at receiving crosses, players queuing up in the box, and he just hoons it over from about thirty <laughs> yards. Yeah. And you think, why on earth have you done that? That's just yeah. But Brentford aren't exactly the kind of you know um, <laughs> lovable have a go heroes or something like that. But there's t- there's a point to which. Where if he was still playing at Brentford, that would be kind of a little bit kind of oh there goes Said again. He's just you know he's he's done something crazy, but we we like him because he does good stuff for the rest of the time. You don't really get that sort of um, that latitude or understanding when um, the stakes are a little higher, perhaps. We are going to move on to West Ham against Chelsea. Before we do, uh, there was one last really funny pitch side Mike moment, which was kind of made redundant by the disallowed 
the first disallowed Newcastle equaliser. So Callum Wilson scores, scrambles it over the line. Newcastle uh, players converge on where the fans would be. And someone amongst that group just shouted, this is fucking teamwork. Like they were in like a really budget <laughs> remake of 300. It was just, it was, it was great. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a side of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Right, West Ham, Chelsea. Rather worryingly, Alex slash Nick, the first point on this is I can't remember a great deal from this match <laughs> other than Werner scoring at last and then spurning a chance for a second. Um, again, we're, we're going we're gonna to not bother with that childish sort of bit of refereeing where you know, there's an opportunity for red cards, so therefore we have to give it. Talk to me, one of you, about Werner. I don't I mean... <laughs> Strong. <laughs> I know. I, I, I don't. I don't quite know what to to sort of make of him because obviously he's obviously been bad, and obviously at various points this season he's looked like a kind of little lost boy out on the pitch. Um, who you you the, 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 there was a, a tipping point. I, I couldn't I couldn't really pinpoint an exact game or exact time where you started to feel sorry for him. Um, that you know this, despite the fact that this is a you know, fabulously talented, very wealthy man doing something that we would all love to do, you kind of think, ah, oh, this is he's just being humiliated in front of uh, millions of people here. And I'm to, to a point, I'm glad that he's not that, that there aren't any uh, fans of any note in the ground to to directly witness this. Um, but I don't. I, I'm not, I've been also been trying to sort of see find signs of him kind of coming good uh, next season, and I can't really. I, I, I haven't. I mean, Alex is uh, probably has a sort of more attuned eye to this kind of thing, but I haven't seen anything in particular that makes me think, okay, well, if he does this next season, or if Chelsea use him in this way next season, then you know he's going to suddenly start scoring loads of goals. He's actually scored more goals than you think because I think he's he's got a few in in Europe and in, in cup competitions and stuff, but. Even the goal on on Saturday, sorry, it was a, a relatively simple finish, and you, you would kind of be more more annoyed at him if he he'd missed that. They're just I haven't seen a huge amount to make me think, yeah, this this guy's going to really kind of prove everyone wrong next season. In in Timo Werner's defence, what I'll say is, and this is sort of secondhand stuff that I'm passing on from people who know far better than me, is the knock on him in Germany was that he's always had this. He's always been. He was never like. He was never a lethal goal scorer who never missed guilt-edged chances. He, he was a um, someone who had dreadful misses in his locker. So I, I suppose sort of a bare minimum, you could say he is used to dealing with kind of the humiliation of not taking chances he should do. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I wonder whether like over time he becomes one of those players whose who's worth isn't necessarily in his goal scoring, but in what he provides on, the, on, the, on one side of a front three. Alex? Yeah, so I think there's... There's three points to make about him. The first is that strikers do run hot and cold, um, and he does get into good positions regularly. I mean, the fact that he is able to miss a lot of fairly easy chances is actually quite a good indicator because it means that he's getting into the positions in which to have those chances in the first place on a regular basis. The second thing is that obviously... There has been a, a significant system change for him coming over from Leipzig where he played as part of a front two, generally against defences who were more advanced and who would get sucked towards a player like Sabitzer carrying the ball or Yusuf Poulsen flicking it on, 
or again someone out wide Paulson would quite often pull to the left and, and sort of drag defenders over and then Werner would be making those runs through the back which would afford him one-on-one opportunities but carrying the ball at pace towards goal relatively unaffected by defenders and in the Premier League that has not been the case and Chelsea have sort of ummed and ahed about the the setup of their attacking unit um so sometimes we've had you know him playing alongside a relatively orthodox striker sometimes he's been on the left of a three sometimes he's been the only guy through the middle and although I think Tuchel has made massive strides with Chelsea has been hugely impressive the 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 setup and the balance of that front you know one plus two or front three is still slightly undecided for him and I don't think Werner's benefited from that um I also think there have been moments where his, exactly like you say, Seb, his ability to pull wide at real pace and then pull the ball back across like he did for the the disallowed Ziyech goal last weekend and then the one that was scored. Um, you know, there is there is something about his ability to, to carry the ball at pace and get it back across goal, which could be very useful on the left side of a front three. But then... If you're Chelsea, you're also thinking, well, who is playing as that central striker? Do we want, you know, very quick but slightly willowy kind of Kai Havertz as a false nine? Are we looking to play Tammy Abraham through the middle next season? So I think I think there's there's plenty of reasons why Werner is not doing that well. There's plenty of reasons to think that he will come good at some point, but with the caveat that Chelsea do look undecided about how to deploy their attacking unit and until they sort that out and Werner has you know he's kind of bedded into one role it's going to be tricky for him I can see Chelsea becoming really really good in a very short space of time they're going to be one of the the only clubs this summer barring maybe two or three others to have a lot of money because of Abramovich of course I think Chelsea already are really good in a really short space of time I mean they're they're one of the best three sides in Europe at the moment right I don't know. I, I, I maybe I'm, I've I've got a little bit of a timeline going on with this. I, I think they're much improved. I, I still don't fully trust them. So, you know, to describe that, I was I sat down to watch West Ham the, the West Ham game, and given who was missing for West Ham, and given who lined up in that first eleven, and and also um, their experience at St James's Park in the recent past, I just thought that ordinarily with a kind of an automatic mechanical Chelsea like Chelsea as we know them to have been over the last 15 years you think there's no chance they lose this game and yet I was still hesitant which probably reflects that I don't not fully there with them yet but from I, if you look forward six months you could see them doing the reverse of what they did last summer which is um, well, not quite the reverse but you know an inversion of what they did focusing on entirely focusing on the back half of their side and investing in it in a way that they did their front six and you just think you do that and potentially you could have a kind of a settled lineup for the next four or five years um center back probably another full back or two and a deep midfielder but by the way what do we think of the goalkeeper mendy i i i I go game to game with him i still don't really know what i think of him nick where are you with him it's it's a little bit difficult to I think with goalkeepers you often particularly goalkeepers that have been signed in quite a high profile way you sort of judge them against what they were replacing and Kepa was had become such a sort of slapstick figure maybe unfairly maybe completely justifiably that you just kind of it's, it's I find it quite difficult to judge a player like Mendy, who's come in for someone who was, you know, pretty ha- pretty hapless for a lot of the time, it's it's a little bit difficult to judge whether he's actually good or he's just better than the last guy, um, and you know, better than the last guy in a team like Chelsea, where who have you know have obviously improved their um, uh, defensive setup and organisation under uh, Tuchel and, and um, under Lampard, better than the last guy is is probably good enough. But yeah, I, 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 I am I, I, like you. I think still slightly undecided, but maybe for slightly different reasons. That I, I just find it slightly tricky to judge him objectively rather than in comparison to the last guy. Because I wouldn't necessarily have a problem if 
Chelsea went back into the market for another goalkeeper. I think that uh, I look at Mendy and I can understand why they signed him. He's quite different to Kepa in a lot of ways. Stylistically, he is physical in ways that Kepa isn't. Makes sense. It's like a, he's like a reaction to Kepa. But then you spend the rest of your weekend watching players like, I don't know, like obviously one, someone like um, Jan Oblak. And you think, now that is a really good goalkeeper. Or Manuel Neuer, for instance, didn't have a, the best game um, over the weekend, but even so. Or I, I think Manchester City's um, second choice, Stefan, Zach Stefan, uh, had a good game at Wembley against Spurs. Didn't do very much, but didn't do anything wrong. And you think, Mendy, like, is he someone that you can actually go and win things with? I, I don't think you can win anything with Kepa. I think he, he sort of... Um, I think that part of, this part of his career is too far gone and he needs a change of scenery. But Mendy... I don't know, it's not, not it, a long term, it's not necessarily just enough of a thing to be not Kepa, which I feel like that's that's the territory he inhabits. I think the, the thing I'm not convinced about with Mendy is, Distribution. is the playing out from the back, yeah. Um, he looks... He looks kind of jerky in his movements when he's when he's carrying the ball forwards or looking to pass. He kind of stabs passes rather than uh, strokes them. Uh, and you, that, you can that's... kind of hear his internal monologue, Alex. When when he's do you remember when when Petr Cech was encouraged to start playing from the back? Um, yeah, you know, Emery, and you can literally hear him just going, "Oh fuck!" Every time he gets <laughs> that's, the ball, <laughs> that's that's the thing. And and uh, I, Nick, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but but Seb and I are both former goalkeepers as is Joe actually so um, I don't Ooh. know if that makes you the same or different but it was the element of of playing in goal that I hated I, I hated back passes I hate the ball coming towards me and thinking oh shit I've got to do the bit that I'm so not good at that it means I'm playing here rather than out there um, and I, I do feel there's something in Mendy's kind of movement that that almost invites pressure and I've seen a number of games now where the only time Chelsea have looked particularly vulnerable is when teams press them high and press Mendy particularly. And, and you know, in Thiago Silva, if he's playing in, in Christensen, who I think has vastly improved, and, and even in Rudiger, they, you know, Chelsea have got good ball-playing defenders, Rudiger more for his carrying than his passing. But Mendy is the weak link in that. And, and that's why Kepa was brought in. Kepa was brought in to be a distributing goalkeeper who's good with his feet and he is he just can't save anything um but i think if if chelsea want to play properly in tuchel's style i say all of that kayla navas is not great with his feet either and and did very well under tuchel so you know there there's there's room for adaptation there perhaps but i I th- yes, like you, Seb. I think if Chelsea went into the market for another goalkeeper, it wouldn't be a massive shock. I would also say that there aren't that many good goalkeepers out there, so you know it would it would probably be another significant splurge if they're going to get somebody who, in the next couple of years, develops into a top tier goalkeeper. It's one of those situations where um, Chelsea there are two two. Um, kind of uh, unrealistic possibilities here. One in that Kepa could become the world's most expensive goalkeeping coach where he just works with uh, Mendy on his footwork. (laughs) The other thing is that Chelsea somehow develop uh, a kind of machine to fuse the two, like uh, like in the fly or something like that. They just stick them both in there and hope that they come out with, um, you know, Kepa's ability with his feet and uh, Mendy's shot stopping. And what happens if you get the the inverse of that? <laughs> yeah, well, that, I mean, that's the ga- that's the gamble. Mendy's kicking, and yeah, oh yeah. god, Frankenstein's monster. Life, do you hear me? You're my creation. There are a couple of interesting goalkeepers around. I mean, beyond the ones that we always talk about, there's a guy at Fenerbahce called Altai who he's um he's out injured at the moment. I think he's broken his wrist or ankle or something. He has, but he, he has broken his he's, wrist. Uh, He's a super goalkeeper in the making. I don't know. Um, I don't know how he'd adjust to life outside Turkey, but he um, footballing life outside Turkey that is. But he um, he looks excellent. Well, very well thought of, and is uh, is young. I'm also interested to see what happens to Nubel at, at Bayern Munich. I just I don't know. It seems as if his arrival really, really hacked off Manuel Neuer, and 
he'll like he might sort of continue his career for another five years purely out of spite uh, kind of the you know uh, seemingly as a reaction to kind of being disrespected by the club or whatever you know however professional footballers rationalize these things he's an interesting one that that people could look at i mean probably not chelsea because you'd imagine that that would probably be a loan away from the club for a year or something um but he's a very good goalkeeper and i i just i find it hard to believe that jan oblak is going to spend his entire career Atletico Madrid, not not because Atletico Madrid isn't a very large club, and you know it doesn't give him a platform on which to um on you know from which to to achieve things, but just because he's so well regarded. I don't think I've ever met anyone that doesn't rate Oblak, and that's quite unusual I think for a goalkeeper. Well, oh no, Oblak's immense. Um, just brilliant he's, goalkeeper. He's had a couple of games in the last sort of month or so where he's effectively the reason why um, Atletico are still in in the title hunt. Um, I think Mike Mannion, who uh, I'm trying to remember who he plays for in France, unforgivable ignorance. Lille, maybe, has just is signed. Mike Mannion, a... French. Yeah, is, is, um, that that cannot be how we pronounce his name. Then, <laughs> that just sounds M- like a M A I G N A N Mannion Mannion. Yeah, because at the moment you 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 make him sound like a, an American mechanic. Just... <laughs> anyway. I believe he has been signed by Mike Mannion <laughs> by uh, AC Milan because they're still unable to uh, agree a contract with Donnarumma. Um, Donnarumma Jr. Obviously, his older brother is also a squad goalkeeper, but not amazingly good. Not very good. Um, no. So he's out there. Um, you've also got Marat Safanov at Krasnodar. He's really good. Don't know him. Tell um, us about him, Alex. He's um, he's. Uh, he's probably, and, and I, I really like your Altai guy as well, actually. Um, Safanov's probably one of the, the two or three kind of top goalkeeping prospects in, in Europe at the moment. And what's really interesting is that if you look at Russian goalkeepers and Turkish goalkeepers, they've got a very strong lineage of producing great keepers who never play abroad, um, which is a kind of an odd thing. I Rustu Rekba, who was the one of the two goalkeepers of the tournament at the 2002 World Cup, had f- like five games for Barcelona or something, never settled, went back to Turkey. Absolutely superb keeper. Um, Volkan Demirel never left Fenerbahce, played almost 400 games for them. So I, I, it, it's odd that, that maybe kind of a couple of the best goalkeeping prospects in Europe currently come from places that where where those players maybe struggle to adapt or there's such a uh, importance placed on them that they get incredibly lucrative offers to stay in their home nation or what have you. Um, it's like the, the Russian problem with goalkeepers. Isn't it? Completely, it's, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Russian goalkeepers, I mean, they have, like Renat Dzeyev played outside of Russia um, successfully or fairly successfully, but by and large... Dmitry Karin. They do, well, Dmitry Karin's like the only main one that you can find who's played the only one I could name without really thinking about it. <laughs> although <laughs> although did you know that the first ever Turkish national player to play in the Bundesliga was a goalkeeper? And he played for Hamburg and then he was Hamburg's assistant manager when they won the European Cup. And his name is Ozkan Arkok. That's an outstanding trivia, Alex. Well played. Good stuff. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, well, that's not a natural prompt to go on to Leeds United, Man United, but we're going to do so anyway. Um, 
Notes here not promising, extremely scrappy and quite dull. Fernandez is such a whiny little shit. And I have nothing else to say on this. I wish I hadn't bothered. I'm, I'm <laughs> back. Someone I'm back rescue to form, this. Aren't I? Yeah, that's, that, that was... Well, I think I overplayed my hand in the uh, in the Liverpool notes, so I've I've firmly regressed to type. Um, but this is what I was saying at the beginning of the pod. This, this was the other kind of game that we've seen this season, um, where there are moments of quality from individual players. I mean, Fernandez is a whiny shit and constantly complains about everything, and sort of has that thing where he sits on the ground and throws his arms up in the air. Um, but he's a very, very good player. I thought Pogba had some moments when he came on. Um, Helder Costa was good for Leeds before Maguire hacked him down. But there was never any kind of real flow to this game. There was never any sense of of the game having a particular momentum towards a positive outcome. It was It was backwards and forwards. Both teams had a relatively good go at it. And some of the players did relatively well, but there wasn't a pattern. It didn't feel like something was going to happen. Um, and and yeah, I think we're just sort of getting to that point where I'm not saying that teams don't have anything to play for. Both of these teams have something to play for, but it I, I think people are just knackered, aren't they? And and that's what happens when you when you get to that stage of physical and mental fatigue. Um, you know, teams just don't. They don't play with the same fluency and fluidity that, that that is what produces good results for them. There's also something about lunchtime matches being played in pale sunshine, which is just tells me it's going to be really, really, really boring. I, I don't know. It's just that there's I. It's the worst weather for football, apart from wind, of course, and you know the snow can you know get out as well, pretty pretty much. But pale sunshine at certain grounds just makes football look so. It prompted Dean Henderson to get his hat out at one point, which which yeah. was a highlight for me. Not a natural hat wearer, Dean Henderson doesn't. He's like me. Like I, I, I'm not mocking him because I, I, I have the same affliction, but I, I can't wear baseball caps. They're just not. I'm not <laughs> built for it. Um, my wife has just raised an eyebrow. Yeah, I'm, I won't wear one again. It's okay. All right. <laughs> Well, when I get, it makes it sound like you not. It's not quite that you uh, you personally don't think you look bad in them. It's, it's that you've been very deliberately banned from wearing them. I well, will not be seen out with you again if you wear that hat. And I don't think that's unfair either, because as as the wearer and as a man beyond a certain age, whatever. Like I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not vain. But you've always got to remember there is someone that has to walk alongside you. Um, <laughs> You know, literally and figuratively in life, and in this case, she she's quite within her rights, and she's never said no. She just she 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 is nicest person in the world, my wife, but has a has a look which says, "Yeah, maybe rethink that." <laughs> <laughs> she wouldn't be angry. Nick, pick this be up before I say anything else. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing. I mean, like 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 Alex, um, uh, I, I didn't bring a huge amount out of this game. But I'm not sure if this is something that you've uh, discussed before. I think it was something we maybe, the last time I was on, we kind of loosely talked about. But there's always this thing about uh, Bielsa having only one way to play and, you know, there's no, the the, the ultimate dogmatist and he's, you know, there's, he will kind of live or die in in this way. But in the, the, there have been a few games recently where, they have sort of played, or, or, or they've been slightly more, I don't know, conservative or pragmatic, or, mm. or I don't know what Absolutely. the correct, correct word is to use. I mean, even the kind of substitutions they made on it, it was almost like it, it was it was someone sort of trying to be a little bit more pragmatic and a little shore things up a little bit without it looking like that. So you know, you take off. I think he, he, I think uh, Click came off came on for Costa, which isn't a kind of it's not a you know pile six men at the back and uh, set up camp on the edge of the penalty area kind of thing, but it's a sort of it's a slightly more conservative change. It's a sort of you know okay we're, we're sort of relatively happy with this with this point here, um, and although he, I know he said after I think it was the it, was, it must have been the Man City game, Bielsa said well nothing to do with me I you know that, that that's that all just um, that all happened naturally. What what are you talking about? Although Bielsa is kind of has this has a reputation for being kind of uh, honest to a fault in his, all his, in most of his kind of 
public proclamations, it, it doesn't seem to... I doubt that the players have taken it upon themselves to just sort of go, okay, we need to shore, sh- sh- um, you know, shore up and shut up shop a little bit here. I, I just wonder whether the, I mean, people who watch Leeds much more than I do, or much more closely than I do, will be able to say if this is complete bollocks or not. But it just, it, there have been a few games recently where he it seems to have given that impression. Right. So if you watch a lot of Leeds and you're listening to the podcast, and Nick has in fact been talking a lot of bollocks please let him know that's what social media is there for obviously um that seems to be its main function um i suppose let's get that out of the way um none of us are particularly interested in these main united uh not hugely interested by man city spurs but i suppose it's a final we have to talk about this um open line of notes is do we want to talk about this question mark no not really um but i think there are a couple of things which are worth picking up on which you guys are Welcome to jump on the th- the thing that's that's struck me as a little bit odd is this um is this sort of refrain about oh I I can't believe they got rid of Mourinho before the final you think have you not watched Tottenham over the last three or four months I mean it, it's just a I understand that he has a good record in finals but then I also am aware of his record in games against sides of necessarily City's calibre, they're in a class of their own, but against any big side in the league this season, um, going back before Christmas, so Man City, Arsenal, Chelsea, Chelsea again, West Ham, Manchester United, these, uh, every every time um, Spurs have faced one of these teams, uh, they have, without exception, defended terribly, done nothing um, in the attacking half of the pitch, have had dreadful transitions and have kind of, gone with a little bit of a whimper um and i suppose we're not good on sunday uh, i don't think that's um that's pretty controversial to say but um i was encouraged by how well they defended hugo Lloris played very well and he had to yes but i felt that uh toby aldevarald had a very good game eric dyer did too so Aurier did some nice things won a clean tackle in his own penalty box hello interesting <laughs> and um one of you guys uh, alex or nick you said that there are some very strange substitutions and i agree i think there was some Naivety, uh, the Musa Sissoko substitution was um, not, well, didn't work out. Um, and the decision to remove Lucas Moura kind of condemned them never to have another attacking chance. But it, it feels like it's really, you lose a cup final 1-0 to Manchester City. And and this is a kind of, this is this is sort of vindication of of Jose Mourinho somehow. Um, someone interrupt me, please, because uh, I'm heading towards this kind of Mourinho cul-de-sac if I go on any further. I kind of I, I I agree with everything you said about Mourinho. I, I just kind of it, it, it was more uh, kind of raised raised the point more in that I found it slightly odd that people were bringing this up so much that you know this this guy who's got this great great um, record in finals should have been kept in charge with this uh, charge of this team that are were very clearly demoralised and had been he had been running into the ground for the last. Well, depending on how long you think, the last six months, eighteen months, however long it was. Um, but the only, uh, uh, you know, as you kind of touched on, the only sort of, uh, I think, tangible um, or you know, realistic justification for that point of view was the substitutions. They, what would a kind of a, a more, um, I don't know, experienced, savvy, I don't know what the 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 term you want to use is would um, a manager that isn't 29 years old and managing his second ever, you know, senior game um, have taken off Lucas Moura or would he have, you know, taken off Lo Celso or would he have, you know, left Ndobele on the bench? Um, that That's, that they were the only kind of things. And, and again, maybe I'm, I, I'm arguing uh, maybe the, the the point is less that you know Mourinho would have made would wouldn't have made those those mistakes, but sort of someone with a bit more managerial experience wouldn't have wouldn't have made those mistakes if you kind of cast them as mistakes. I feel like I um I, I read um Jack Pitbrook's coverage of um the Mourinho situation, Daniel Levy situation over the last couple of weeks has been really good, and one of the things that he picked up on in his kind of post mortem of the Mourinho era was that um. There were players at Spurs who felt like they weren't conditioned properly, that they weren't working hard enough in training and that they weren't, especially those who are used to the way Maurizio Pochettino used to condition his sides. They felt like they, you know, they weren't 
they weren't being pushed in the way they used to be. And there's obviously sort of a, you know, happy medium between Pochettino's belief around fitness and, you know, everybody else's and what's sensible. But it seems like if you look at, I think the one that I look at most of all, like Lothelso, Lothelso had some good moments at Wembley, but not fit, clearly not fit. Um, I don't think he can go for much more than, than 60 minutes. Gareth Bale, I feel like it's a real missed opportunity because had Gareth Bale had a bit more football, he would look, I don't know, he might be a little bit more of a force in games. I, I still don't really understand why, um, having been amongst the that side's most productive players for a, you know, a, a month, um, he was then kind of jettoned from the side and sort of, I, 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 that was odd to me. Um, it's also one of Mourinho's habits is that if, you, if he doesn't rate a player, like, he, he marginalised them to such an extent that it takes time for them to become useful again. So think of someone like Deli Ali. You'd be like, well, Deli Ali is fresh now. I was like, well, yeah, but he's had so little football that he's not going to be sharp. And, and putting him on um, has no real benefit because he looks clumsy and out of touch and all those things. And that, that feels like a, a sort of a hidden cost here. But it's just, um, I don't know, it's like the, it's a strange thing. It, it, it's, it's uh, I, I, I don't know, like it's... Um, these are these are all very explainable issues that Tottenham had at Wembley, and, and I think the, the best point in, the, in these notes is that just City are really, really, really good. They're, they're really good. I mean, they 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 um, that they're that offensively dominant without a pivot, without a pivot, without a proper centre forward. It's just so impressive. Alex, what did you like about them on Sunday? Um, I I like the same thing that I've liked for for much of the season, which is really that this. This ability that they have to to swap players in and out of positions that give little different things depending on what they're doing. So, for example, if you have uh, Cancelo acting as a left back, then you have a little more solidity coming into that left half space in central midfield. That means you can maintain a bit more width on the left hand side. If you have Walker as a right back, you've got more pace, so you can then make a kind of back three that t- I mean they're just they're very they're very flexible but within a set of parameters that remain kind of similar so it's always positional play you can always point to certain sorts of things but Pep has a a, a strong enough squad now that he can tweak stuff um, I think they do still and I feel like this was an issue in this game they, they still sometimes look a little weak without a centre forward Um against teams that drop off. Uh, I, I feel like if they'd had somebody who was maybe more kind of forcefully against Alderweireld and, and Dyer trying to make the runs in behind rather than making runs from deeper and, and then seeking to burst past them, they could have potentially got a breakthrough slightly earlier. Um, but these are, you know, these are kind of very minor nitpickings with... It's quite uh, harsh. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, yeah, but I, I think that the problem is that, that City are so good that that all you can really do if you're analysing City now is to look for the areas of improvement. Um, it, and, and those areas of improvement are the things that take them from 98% to 99% rather than from 40% to 50%. You know, that's that's the, the quality that they've achieved this season. And they are... You know they're defensively more stable. That that use of the false nine has given them an extra body in midfield. Sometimes um, the the centre backs are playing much much better. You know there's just it's very very hard to look at City and say that there's anything that's not fundamentally excellent about that team. Um, they're so well coached. I think that's what I always end up thinking. Just because uh, yeah, we we all that, that's that's the flexibility of those players. It, you know, the the only way you get the ability to say to players, you know, you're going to play here this time and you're going to tweak this ever so slightly, and that's all through coaching. Players don't necessarily inhabit that kind of thinking themselves. You know. Well, I think one of the things that Guardiola Pats doesn't quite get enough credit for. It's a funny sentence, um, but. Is the discipline he stores? Yes, you're quite right, Alex. These are really versatile players, and um, particularly in the attacking sense, because so many of them are, so, are, are able to occupy so many different roles. But there's also um, there's a selflessness to City in their kind of mechanical qualities, which you don't necessarily associate with teams of Manchester City's resources and players of that caliber. And it's a sort of um, 
I feel disclosure, I wasn't as, as invested in the final as I might have been. But um, it's one of the things you notice. You kind of admire City for how well they create space and that um, really terrifying um, feeling you get when you're playing against them that they actually have like 13 or 14 men on the pitch just because their use of space is so, so good. And you think in other situations, you would have individual players in this system who um, who strayed, um, who were, who kind of were, were tempted to add lib or who... Um, enjoy the status of of being at that kind of club, and and that would translate into kind of a more of a, a free form system. And I, I think it's something that I, I don't know enough about kind of um, Guardiola's um, sort of interpersonal skills to to know how he creates that. But it's impressive, and it's um, I, I look at someone like Riyad Mahrez. Riyad Mahrez is like I, I always feel like we've never really given Riyad Mahrez the respect he's deserved, just how much of a good footballer he really is. Like his first touch, ridiculous. Um, and it's one of those, another one of those things you notice when you're playing against City. And yet he doesn't, even someone that wants to kind of, to stray, like, you know, Mahrez at, at, uh, at Leicester probably covered more of the pitch than he does at Manchester City. And yet his touches at City are rationed to a very sp- specific area of the pitch and in very specific situations. And that's kind of, that limits the player's effect. And so for someone that's worth £75 million, that's, it's difficult. It's it's just an interesting little dynamic. Um, Nick, what did you like about the final? The, the thing I liked about the final, uh, it's a, a, a slightly kind of facetious point, but kind of building on everything you, that you two have just said about Manchester City, about how brilliant they are and how well coached they are and how well everything is planned and how brilliant their players are. I always quite like it when a team that is that good and is so demonstrably superior in a game wins wins the game with a set piece which are yeah. which I, I know aren't it's it's not like the you know completely kind of random event and i know that teams work on these things and they they're, they're often very tightly structured but they are kind of generally speaking organized chaos uh corners or free kicks or crosses from the from the which is why uh, Manchester City, obviously under Guardiola, um, score that goal so often where they they it's everything is kind of played along the ground. The crosses the crosses along the ground rather than rather than in the air. So I just I don't know. It, it, it's a sort of uh, a kind of sort of comforting um, reminder of the sort of chaos of of football that you can plan everything brilliantly and you can be so very obviously better than the, your opponent and the thing that wins it is is still a kind of, you know, thumping header from a set piece. We've talked ourselves out a little bit, so I'm going to rattle a few through a few my little points. Um, if you haven't seen, if you didn't see the game, you haven't seen the highlights, go and check out Leon uh, against Lille. Like, really good comeback. Also, um, check out Burek Yilmaz's is role in that. I mean, he's, he's almost as old as I am. He was absolutely brilliant. Like, he scored a... Um, Leon went two up. He scored the first Lille goal just on the stroke of half time, and then um, was involved in in the other two. And uh, Lille back to the top of the table, and they've got uh, Nice, Lens, Saint Etienne, and Anger remaining uh, to win the title. Win all, all of those games, and they'll win the title. Turkey at the Euros, by the way. Just just to pick up on your Ilmaz yeah. point, Tur- Turkey. Watch Turkey at the Euros because they, I think they'll surprise people. They can't defend, but there's a lot of really interesting things going on from the midfield forward. There's some good players on that side. And Yilmaz, all of a sudden, um, he has had a new lease of life. He just, he he looks excellent. Um, And just a great competitor. And Turkey, I mean, I I think in in about five years' time, Turkey would be a really good side. They've got a lot of young players coming through. Um, if they if they move to the right clubs, then they'll be a real force. But yeah, Alex is right. They'll be fun. I don't think they'll, they'll... They'll be their own worst enemy at one point, but um, they will be fun to watch. Um, Athletic Club Atletico uh, Madrid was a great game. Bit of a, I mean, it's a, you know, it's not great news for um, for Simeone and the title. Um, but have a look at the um, the Athletic Club, the Athletic Club's second goal and the little corner move, which um, which opens up the space for the header. Nice little blocking run by one of the players. And let's finish. Let's finish on. on I think the weirdest result of the, the of the weekend: Wolves nil, Burnley four. And that's the kind of result where it's like having a really, really, really bad line on your CV. It's like getting dismissed for gross misconduct. It places an asterisk against everything else that you do because as a fan, you can never, ever forget the day that you lost 4-0 at home to Burnley. 
It's just, it's, and that's not meant to be disrespectful to Burnley, Sean Dyche, or Chris Wood. No, well, sorry, sorry for interrupting you, Seb. That is incredibly disrespectful to Burnley, and I am fully behind that. But um, you, you, you can't say, "Hey, no disrespect," but you've got to. Everyone's got to be thoroughly embarrassed that they've lost to Burnley. But you do. It, it's not. It's not <laughs> even know, about quality, yeah, Nick. Yeah, it's it's about it's about the way they play. Like you should never concede four goals at home to Burnley. You shouldn't. Like you can concede one, two, good set piece. You know, good dogged defensive performance. You know, Sean Dyche is more than capable of, 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 of causing an upset at most grounds. But you shouldn't lose 4-0 at home. <laughs> and you should definitely shouldn't concede the kind of goals that Wolves did. Um, who watched when this game? When was the last time Burnley scored four goals? I did actually, I, I looked this up and I think the last time they scored, they scored four goals against... Stafford Bridge? They scored four goals against, I think, Peterborough in the FA Cup last season. And then the okay. time before that was about two years ago. Um, I, I, I say I looked it up. I'm just checking in my notes here, and I I looked it up but didn't note it down. So um, uh, top planning for me there. Um, but nice. yeah, it, a, a, a while ago is uh, is what we're saying. They scored 13 yeah. percent of their goals this season in in that game. Um, uh-huh. uh, I, I agree. I agree with everything Seb said. I just um, say it with in a the, more respectful with, way. No, 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 no. With a, in a in a less respectful way, I I. I do think that uh, it is disrespect uh, disrespectful of Burnley, and I'm fully behind that. I think Burnley are uh, they they are they have a function, but they uh, are, it's quite illegitimate to to be disrespectful of Burnley. To me, something needs to change at Wolves. I don't know what it is, and it, I I I don't want to be lazy and to say it's the manager because I I really like Nuno. I think he's done great things with that side, and I, I feel like um, obviously the Raúl Jiménez injury was difficult to take and he lost Yotta on the edge of the, at the beginning of the season. Pedro Neto's out injured as well and Johnny Pedro Neto's out injured. I, I feel like these are part of the reason he's lost Johnny for he I think he's done a his cruise shit again, so he's gone for probably six months at least. I feel like these are really valid um I mean the, 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 this is a, a valid uh, these are valid mitigating circumstances, but they don't explain the whole picture. It just feels like there's fundamentally a little bit of a looseness now. Um and it's not just oh they can't be asked. It's you know in the season they're not going down, but they're not going to achieve anything because um, there are other sides in that category too, and they're not losing four 0 at home to Burnley. So um, I don't know. And also given the kind of people involved at um, Wolves and the George Mendes factor, I just feel like this is a little bit. It's not quite what it's supposed to be. So you just think there has to be either a whole scale remodeling, which I don't know. Are, are folks interested in that kind of investment? Don't know. Um, read Tim Spears the Athletic to judge for yourself and where does he go because I feel like the longer he stays at Molyneux the more this trend continues the more damage is done to his reputation so it just feels like a very important now if I think part of the problem is that they haven't they haven't really made a, a properly convincing signing for a little while I mean William Jose I'm not sure has he, has he scored yet but he, he's not been good um, he scored he scored last weekend Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's embarrassing. Yeah, but, but it's it's, uh, a, it's a valid point. It's only one goal, and he, it's not yeah. like it. You know, he hasn't been horribly unlucky or anything. So, and that that would have been against Fulham or Sheffield United. They've, they, I know they've only they've only won two games recently, and they've both been against Sheffield United. Um, Sheffield United. But yeah, the, 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 none of the. I mean, spent thirty five million on on Fabio Silva, who you know hasn't worked out just yet. Oh, um, I quite like him. I mean, I, really? he's not, okay. well, not for £35 million, but I, I think he's a good right. player and I think he will become a really good one. And I, I, I like Podence, but like you said, like, not much investment in the defence, um, not a lot of success um, in rejuvenating that midfield. I like Podence, um, but um, I suppose you classify him more as a, as a, as a, as a sort of a forward, right? sort of number 10, but it just looks very tired, Nick, like, which is kind of one of, the, one of the things transfer policy is supposed to guard against, I suppose. Yeah, Pedence is, is is probably the the last um, probably convincing signing they made, which was eighteen months ago to a couple of couple of transfer windows ago. They have obviously by by um, the Jimenez injury and a, a couple of other um, injuries, but um, yeah, they they look. I think that the 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 thrust of um, Tim Spears's piece is that these are players that need a rest. But the problem being that it looked like they started to take it early on um, on Sunday. Kind of, you know, having a rest at the end of the season is fine, but not in the in the middle of the Molyneux pitch. Well, well, kind of this um, 
wall of flesh Chris Wood is kind of running right amongst <laughs> your kind of defence. They've also, I mean, that, 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 that defensive point, they, like you said, that they have kind of, um, let me just look up who, was it, their the, the back three yesterday would have been Bolly, Cody and Sice. Is that, is, is that, yeah. uh, I'm just saying that off the top of my head, I haven't checked it. But that's basically the same back three that they had in the championship a few years ago when they, when they came up, which, you know, the, the, Cody's obviously been excellent and Willie Bolly's usually very good and Saiz is surprisingly good considering he's, he was a midfielder for most of the time before he started playing in defence. But you kind of feel like they need someone, uh, that you, you, you need to kind of convincingly refresh that. And they, they have tried to kind of, you know, make various signings at various points. But if you're kind of reaching the point in um, at the end of the 2020-21 season, where you still have the same defence as you had three years ago when you came up from the championship. It's not, I don't know, th- th- those players have been very good for them, but you, 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 like you said, they, it's a, the, the defence is somewhere that you think they need more of a refresh than most other places. Yeah, because all three of those players, I mean, Bolly in particular has fallen off a cliff. I mean, yeah, he, I, but, um, no, he's, he was terrible He's, I mean, he, I've seen this a few times. Like I, He was one of their most impressive um, sort of championship players, football league players, when he came up, and you could you could absolutely see somebody sort of spending thirty million pounds on him. Um, he's not as young as everyone thinks he is, but at the same time, you know, you, you could have you could have imagined West Ham spending thirty five million pounds on him, or Arsenal sort of panicking at the end of a transfer window or something. But not now. He, um, I think, you need to entirely rebuild that back three. I'm, I'm not even convinced by Cody anymore. I think he's um, I think he's been a very good player. I think he's overachieved, but I don't. I don't know. It just it looks like it needs to be torn down and rebuilt. I think. Um, excellent. Okay. Well, we will say goodbye. That. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, if you haven't, sorry. I guess. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> we shall catch. Apologetic outro I've ever heard. Well, why not? You know, like uh, I've got I've got four days of annual leave coming up. You know. Um. So no me on Friday. Uh, Alex and Joe are back. Um. Maybe Nick, but we haven't asked him to do that yet, but possibly, you never know. Um, uh, So thanks for listening. The Athletic.